Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Are you interested in angels, demons, spirits, ghosts, and monsters? Are you curious about their origins, tales, and influence upon history and on the present day? If so, sit back, relax, and welcome to Southern Demonology, the podcast that explores all of this and more. Hello all. Welcome back to another episode of Southern Demonology. As always, I'm your host, JJ. Yesterday, I had the pleasure of appearing as a guest on Paranormal Radio, which is a UK-based YouTube channel that goes through and interviews other uh, people that are involved in the paranormal space. And it was a ton of fun. The link for that will be down in the description. So please feel free to check that out if you would like. Otherwise, the website is getting some updates. I'm actually adding in a uh, a homegrown content management system for the site. I've actually been writing press releases for a few of our episodes. There's going to be some recurring news, some bulletins, some blog posts that's all going up there. The first batch of which are going to be some protection information that uh, Lee Taru from our Discord channel actually provided me. And you can actually hear her episode, which is entitled A Demontic Haunting. But otherwise, we are going to get back into our conversation with Rocky from Macabre World Podcast in this episode, we actually discuss a, a good bit of topics, everything from bullying to death rites to Catholicism, and then her amazing jewelry that she actually sells on her website. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy the last piece of our interview with Macabre World. One of the things I rely back on, me personally, my personal spirituality is I think I have evolved into a universalist, meaning I I absolutely support and encourage anyone who has a spiritual affiliation to get the most they can out of it. I don't I'm not going to argue who's right or who's wrong. Yep. I think everybody's got a little bit of the right idea. And I think it's also okay if you think nobody's got a right idea to not be part of any of it. I, I whatever you got going on is cool with me. Yep. But I grew up in a very, and I'm trying to think of a, a possible painfully Catholic family. And and I, I made a quip uh, when we spoke briefly before the show. I said, by the time I, I received First Communion, my preparation for that was like a second year seminary student. And, and in no way am I, am I downing all of that knowledge. It's just, it's a kind of heavy atmosphere. And in and, and my, my mom's culture, that's how you did it. Mm-hmm. You know, do you, you, it was a very, very heavily religious culture. So I, you know, you, I think it was destiny that I was not going to be a, a full-fledged awesome Catholic because I was always looking for loopholes. And I think <laughs> part of being a great skeptic 
And part of being, you know, a terrific lapsed Catholic is looking for loopholes. And and I I think that that when you have somebody who's not familiar, maybe I think on a whole, it's a general public may not be familiar with how sacraments work, how rights work within the canon law of the church. To have a lay person suggest that they are able to perform a sacramental rite seems unusual. They can assist. There was a time when lay people didn't touch the Eucharist, and then now they have Eucharistic ministers who can who can who who will assist at Mass. Before it was only the priest. I mean, they've 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 definitely loosened that up a bit. Right. But at the time, there were claims made about exorcisms being something that lay persons could do. I I think. That rang false with me. Yep, I, I am completely there with you on that one. Now, I know that there are some variants of the Catholic Church. Uh, so I know that you've, you've interviewed uh, Bishop Archbishop Long. Yes. On your show, in which they make a differentiation between minor rites of exorcism and major rites of exorcism. I still, in my heart of hearts, that's still kind of like, threading the needle on that one. I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. Well, it's, this is going to be the worst pun of many. The devil is in the details. <laughs> I love <pun. laughs> yep. The devil is surely in the details here. Bishop, uh, Archbishop Long was a fun interview, and he's a terrific human. I think that, that I understand where he's coming to, in, and it's, I think there's, there's lots of hairs that got split before the plan filtered down to what we have now. So I, no way am I suggesting that Archbishop Long designed it this way, but I think there was more allowance. I mean, I think it boils down to the fact of what you, what you understood is exorcism versus the minor right, the major right. And I think he really illuminated that very clearly and very well. But I think there may have been some gullibility on the part of the public because in general, most people aren't going to realize there's a minor and a major with exorcism. They're just going to watch the movie The Exorcist. The power of Christ compels you. The pea soup, and they're just going to going to assume that that's how it goes. I need an old priest and a new priest. Oh dear, Even yeah. It doesn't work like that. But <laughs> try to find a new priest. Yeah, exactly. Those are thin on the ground. I think so actually, you know, and and this is in, in no disrespect to anyone's faith. I think that um, that there has to be a lot of. Ah, what's the word I want? Renovation and updating. Vatican II was in 1963. Just a, a, a little side message. If, if folks in the Catholic Church want more uh, practitioners, you need to be more updated and, and inclusive, I think. Oh, and, and just the sheer amount of priests that actually still refuse to recognize Vatican II, that, you know, still only insist that you know, the old Latin rites are the only true rites that, you know, bring true, right? and even priests that now actively, don't, you know, go against the Pope and don't believe that the Pope is what he's supposed to be is, it just kind of like breaks my mind a little bit. <laughs> and we got a nice Pope now. Yes, we do. Yeah, he's a nice goodness. Pope. You know, and I've, I've probably gone through six Popes myself, <laughs> six or eight Popes, I'm not sure. I never counted. And like I said, I'm I'm not I'm I'm no longer, you know, in the games as it were. It's are we losing our sense of the ancient rites in general? Are the folks that are clamoring on and, and holding on to pre Vatican II Catholicism 
are they trying to save something? I, I seriously, I, I I think about that. I mean, because we're all no, that is a wonderful question. Are because, they trying to save something? You know, because uh, I I do think they have a point. I, I'm not arguing against that. And in fact, I mean, whenever whenever you read about exorcisms in particular, because it does kind of like paint it in a certain light, you know, they do many exorcists say that the older the language in which you can speak the more effective it seems to be against the, the dwelling hopes. And, uh, I mean, that does make a perverted kind of sense. So maybe there is a lot of justification there. I'm certainly not pretending to have the answers because I, I never. Yeah. Did. That's, that, that's, a, that's a pretty, a pretty open ended question. You know, it's all of our definitions have gotten a little slushy. And I think I understand when people want to cling to what they've always known. I, I have compassion. Just because I'm a little fly of the seat of my pants, always looking around the corner for something crazy, kooky, and new to learn, doesn't mean everybody feels that way. And, and, I'm, and I'm very, very accepting and compassionate to people who have firmly rooted opinions. It doesn't, it, they don't have to match mine, and they don't have to have the same sense of adventure spiritually or otherwise. There's something to be gleaned in the old versus new. I think that, and, and, and you can just take that from paranormal investigation. You can take that from I had a chance to talk to a terrific guy named Dan Sturgis. Dan Sturgis is out of New York City, and he's a paranormal researcher. People see him on the Travel Channel, the paranormal caught on camera. Yep. And, and he and I were talking about like, the equipment, because there's a lot of these ghost hunting shows now. And Dan said something that, that really stuck with me. And he was just like, I just bring in a tape recorder and a pad and a pen. We all got cameras on our phones now. You know? But if you are responding to a report where somebody heard something or saw something you got ears you got eyes that's about it he says you don't need he says the rest of it he says they didn't experience this with all kinds of gadgetry they experienced it in their everyday life if it's something legitimate phenomena you should be able to at least initially go in there and investigate using the same tools where how is as as it was observed that's true. In fact, and nice uh, back to basics kind of way to think about it. I liked that. Well, honestly, I, like so, I was I just got through interviewing my very first paranormal researcher uh, on the podcast who was out of Cookville, Tennessee, and you know he does have a lot of fancy equipment stuff that I've never utilized myself, but he actually advocated you know that some of the most basic. Uh, utilities like a pair of dowsing rods right. was the most effective thing that he's ever utilized. And that was, you know, fascinating. I was amazed when I first saw dowsing rods used uh, on a paranormal investigation because in a lot of cultures, that's how you find, that's how you, that's how you dig a well. Oh, in fact, where <laughs> I come from, that's what they're used for. Did you have, have a water witcher? Tons of people find water with dowsing rods, and they work. Yes, it's they do. Amazing! It really is. And 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 I had seen that myself because people would be digging for for wells and things like that. I'd seen that's a very old country thing to do. In fact, I had only seen it done. I'd seen it done many times, but I'd only seen it done with a branch, like a Y shaped branch. Yes, and exactly. and somebody would delicately balance the branch, and and of course the the, the pull would show you where the the, the water, and that makes some kind of scientific sense. Not that I can explain it in detail, but I mean, it, it doesn't seem 
that paranormal to me that mm. things like polarity energies change when water tables get high. That's just, you know, elemental. Right. That makes that doesn't seem all that wacky and weird. But interesting that it's come into uh the realm of spirit communication. Exactly. You know, and, and uh I'm in an area now, um like I said it's very cosmopolitan, but going a little bit northwest uh southwest, I guess, from us is like the Pennsylvania Dutch country. And there's a lot of a lot of very unusual customs, a lot of great throwback stuff. The Amish are I actually have an Amish market that's near that has plenty of Amish folks. And I see them on the regular because I shop there and they're delightful humans, but wonderful folks to talk to. But, you know, there's a lot of old meets new there and they kind of like stick in the old. What are they trying to save? I think it's some I think when you keep thinking about, like I said, the old versus new, the good versus the evil. You look at folks that are holding on to tradition and exactly half the camp is going to say, oh, you're crazy for just not getting up with the times. And the other half says, we don't hold on to this. It's going to disappear and go away and be gone forever. So it's sort of where do you where do you draw that line? How do you keep the old and renovate into the new without losing your identity? Well, I grew up, we have a ton of, uh, of Mennonite communities and yeah, a lot of them are set up, you know entire stores which sell the most amazing metalwork. I, I love going there and they're here it's bacon. Things. The bacon uh, is crazy. Bacon and donuts. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's why I'm not you know, I always tell people people always ask, you know, are you medium? No, no man. I'm at least an extra large. But you know <laughs> part of it's because of bacon and Amish donuts. Not everybody feels this way, I understand, but I think there's this ex- we have this xenophobia that has become at least moderately fashionable certain climates certain personalities certain popularities and in some circles have made it okay to ex- to express extreme xenophobia and i'm i'm not cool with that so i don't I'm do it either. and I'm, I'm i'm not into into I, I just sometimes i step back i took one anthropology class too many i step back and i look at folks who are arguing about their differences and if they would just take a moment and realize how much they are the same, they'd be staggeringly, staggeringly. And yeah. we have so much more in common. The words of Sting in the 80s when we had our first We Hate the Russians deal. The Russians love their kids too. You know, the Blue Turtles kind of changed my life. It was a great album. <laughs> you know? But, you know, it's, 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 a, crazy, it's a crazy thought. We're all, we're all arguing about minutiae and differences instead of embracing our same. What's the evil that we're fighting? I mean, we, we want to get into this yin yang this good versus evil old versus new we don't know who's right and who's wrong anymore we don't have the answers anymore we don't know what's you know what is there an afterlife or before life this one's an atheist that one's this you know and we're all just going to argue about it instead of saying why don't we try to you know support each other and learn together in fact there was a uh, there's an american philosopher called uh, alistair mcintyre who wrote in one of his books that was kind of famous that we have forgotten how to hold a civil discourse on morality ever since 1947. And he goes through a lot of reasoning as to why that date in particular. But I've always have found that like a, a, a truly intriguing way of thinking about things. Well, I'm a huge, huge fan. I'm a, a big reader, and, and I'm an, uh, an incredibly uh, huge fan of Arthur Miller, the playwright. And I, I loved that he did a, a direct allegory to 
the McCarthy trials in his play, The Crucible. Exactly. And there was, there was, and, and you know, I think the amount of insight, speaking as somebody who grew up not too far off from Salem, Mass., and uh, went there frequently because there was all our field trips were like Salem, Bunker Hill, Old North Church. Been there That's a lot. Awesome. Well, we do all these great, great, cool field trips learning history when we were, we were kids in like, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade. And it was all Revolutionary War because it was all around us. We had all these monuments. Mm-hmm. We had all these plaques. We had lots of cannons and everything. And so somewhere around April, somebody said, oh, no, we better catch him up to at least like Vietnam. And then so I, I learned about the, 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 you know, the, the American Revolution for six months and the, la- the next two months, we're just trying to catch up to, v- to, get to at least get to the Vietnam War. But we went to all these, all these cool places and going in Salem, when you experience like what's, what Salem is like and, and you look at, learn about those trials, they were highly political. It was, it was a, brilliant, a brilliant reference on Miller's part to link that to the, to the witch trials because it was hugely political. Do I think that they were actual metaphysical witches? I don't know. I have lots of people I know who say they're witches, and that's okay. They practice a religion that 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 embraces that, and that's awesome, and they're and they're great. I have lots of friends who say they're a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I was an EMT for many many years. I had a I had a patient say he was a fire truck. It's all okay. So, you know, it's all perception, it's all reality, whatever. And and somebody else's perception is their reality. Not to say that I'm I don't want to sound either pedantic or or I don't want to sound condescending. I'm I'm okay right. with everybody's okay. But when whether they were metaphysical witches or not. And and I do, you know, understand that they had a they had so, you know, when you have somebody who's from the West Indies, Tichiba who was kidnapped as a slave and and brought there was from the West Indies. Her beliefs are going to look different than Puritan beliefs in a big way. Right. But a lot of people don't realize that, that you know, some things I like to consider when looking at some of these famous cases are things like ergot poisoning. There's a lot of food and drink that probably wasn't stored really well. So you're going to get some of your molds and things. The other thing that drives me is the political gain. The fact that when you were accused and arrested for witchcraft, you had to pay for your imprisonment until trial, and they made a nice, tidy, steep fee for your imprisonment. So if you could not pay that fee, you forfeited part of your lands. And some, some folks have kind of like looked at it from a different angle and said, all right, let's say, JJ, you and I are neighbors. I got five acres, you got 10 acres, and there's a five-acre parcel that's right up against your land that I want, and mm-hmm. I ask you to sell it to me. And you don't want to sell it to me because you think I'm a jerk. You're not wrong. So you don't want to sell me your five acres. If someone could be cajoled to point at you and accuse you, you go into debtor's prison. What's going to happen? I mean, now go into prison and you're going to incur debt. And then the debt has to be paid off by the sale of your lands. Who's going to be first in line to buy it? Right. And if one goes and searches a lot of these, there's a few books that explore this you'll see that there's some interesting land transactions that seem to heavily suggest that there could have been some political motivation. So you have bored teenage girls, somebody with some unusual beliefs that were brought in from a different place in a different culture. And then you have people, you know, you have avarice, you have greed. And I mean, just to divorce it from, you know, from the maneuvering, or actually to embed it even more firmly into the maneuvering aspect, you know, if you have 
a woman who is very outspoken. What better way to get her out of your hair than to accuse her of something like that? I mean, it's sad to say. And, you know, there's been a lot, especially in this current political climate, there's been a lot of uh, hypothesizing about that with the current supposed ruling that's going to be handed down on Roe versus Wade. And, you know, it's it's more than a little bit chilling. Well, you know, it, it becomes the handmaid's tale. And I think that was a, a, another brilliant piece of literature that I, I know that everybody talks about it, but I think we're going to see that book turn into a classic a lot sooner than you thought. In our lifetime. There's a lot Absolutely. of teachable moments there and, and things like that. Well, you know, talking about who's a witch and who isn't, you know, my, grand, my grandmother from Portugal was kind of kind of kooky. She was very... Uh, she was very religious, but she also had like a, a very syncretic way of approaching that. And, you know, she enjoyed things like, you know, she, she told fortunes with cards. She, she read tea leaves. She had statues of saints that she dressed in different outfits, mm-hmm. which is a little unusual to some. But having shrines in the home, if, you, if anyone travels abroad, that's not that unusual. It's not that weird. It's a little weird. I, I'll go with that. But it's not that strange. And, of course, growing up around that, I, I don't think it's all that odd at all. But, you know, there was all of this symbolism, all of this, this rich symbolism. And she was not allowed to – she, she actually was going to become a nun. Hmm. And she was kicked out of the convent for being outspoken, for being a little different and, and that kind of thing. So when you're outspoken and when you're different, if somebody's got a religious square peg, that round – you're not going to get – I mean, you're not going to get it through a round hole. And I think that's actually, what, that's speaking crazy. about shrine uh, and icons just in general. I mean, that's actually what got me to convert. I mean, that's actually what piqued my interest in the Catholic Church to begin with. We were walking in the doors of St. Teresa in Farmville, Virginia, and I thought I had was about to bump into somebody, and I turned around to excuse them. I mean, to, to excuse myself. And it was actually an icon of St. Teresa herself. Oh, and sure. it, like, it kind of threw me because I had never seen icons before, ever. And that and going to Japan and seeing like personal shrines uh, dedicated to uh, to deceased family members. It, uh, you know, if you're not from there, it kind of takes your breath away. And it gives it even more of a reverence than what you may feel if you were not originally part of that tradition or that background i think it's i think it's a wonderful way to to express respect and grief and and to work through those 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 feelings respect love and grief i think are are very difficult at those times and i think having something that honors them i mean you see those i I love funerary culture which probably makes me sound like a real death nerd which is kind of true i am a death nerd but it's so that's the way it should be <laughs> right you know but looking at funerary culture i mean my two favorite funerary cultures are the victorians and the egyptians hmm. because in both cases it got way overdone <laughs> it's where they really took it and ran with it i think some of the lingering and i don't think a lot of people realize where a lot of these lingering customs that we have like eating a meal after the funeral or the collation if you will or, or whatever you want to call that post-funeral get together well, I mean, it's true in a lot of cultures, you celebrate good, bad, and otherwise, you bond together over food. But there was, you know, that can go back to some of the, the sin-eating, a custom in, in the medieval times in, in Europe, 
where when someone died, you could pay someone to eat a meal for their soul mm. to, to benefit their soul. They're called sin eaters. And that there's been some interesting Hollywood adaptations. And the custom of the collation after the funeral has really evolved, or at least there was good it have, from that sin eating concept. I mean, the whole you eat after the funeral. Right. You know, so, yeah. and there's some parts of the United States where that's where you are going to get the greatest greatest plate of like scallop cheesy potatoes you ever will have that's true oh those funeral potatoes are no joke i'm from new england and i'm, and I'm half italian i was always just waiting for them to roll out the eggplant but you know don't mind me i'm just <laughs> waiting for the eggplant yeah no, i'll just sit here and pick it right. past, yeah uh, have you ever heard of uh fayum fayum yep it's Fascinating. So it's later Egyptian. What would happen is that before you died, you would get your portraits painted. And these portraits are beautiful. They're like, you know, a thousand years before, you know, before Victorian era paintings, but they look almost identical. They're just, they're the most beautiful ancient art I've seen. And after you die, you would become mummified. They would roll your body back into your house. You would continue to eat with your family. And they would then modify the portrait with uh, celestial jewelry. So they would paint you with a crown on, with stars on, some other symbolism. And yeah, it like the, uh, the MFA, uh, Museum of Fine Arts in uh, Boston, they have an extensive volume collection, and it's just they're beautiful. It, it's that's incredible, freaky, but it's beautiful. <laughs> well, they they you know the, the the preparation and the ritual for funerary custom is is no small thing, you know. And I, I think a lot of people don't realize how much of it filters into our our, our modern life. You know, I never like the funeral home. We always call it a funeral parlor. I mean, I don't know if that's part of it is colloquial to my region but there was a time and it was not in my lifetime i can honestly say i don't want to make any 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 claims that are not true i have never attended a wake in a home but i am one kevin bacon away <laughs> from a whole generation of people well, that's all they did <laughs> and because my mom you know she says oh yeah we always waked at home my mom is from a very humble uh, family and she says that's what she did. You know, they were laid out in the front parlor, the parlor, mm -hmm. whatever the accent. But yeah. they, were, they were laid out in, in the front room, and and people came in, paid their respects, and the, and the wake was done, and and that and that type of thing. And it's these customs are are still in place because we still have the wakes that we have today. People have a meal after the thing. There's a lot of different uh, customs I think that we hold on to, which is why when we go back to talking about people who are desperately holding on to the old, you know, how do we incorporate it? How do we get them comfortable enough to loosen their grip? How do we get them into the next level of involvement? And I think if you actually look at that concept through a number of cultural things, that's, that's, that's half the problem. It's people, whether it's a political opinion, religious opinion, you get Folks rooted so deeply into one section, and they are terrified to lose their grip because then it's going to be anarchy. Then the monsters are going to get us. The monsters yep. are going to rule us. Whatever the, they're afraid of is going to happen. They're going to create their own reality of fear. And 
which is, I think, one big reason why horror movies are so popular, because the more outrageous, the more crazy. We love that, because then then that's what's real horror. What's happening day to day isn't horrible. Exactly. It's our, it's our fantasy. It's our fantasy comparison. But if we could learn how to like just get to a point where we could just loosen our grip a little. Of course, I'm not speaking of myself. Everybody knows I ain't tied up too tight, so <laughs> my grip, uh, my grip's honest, gone. <laughs> the, the I think that the you know the more someone views the world only in pure shades of black and white, you know the the more stuck they're going to be in whatever worldview they have. And honestly, that is one of the to roll it back. You know, one of the greatest benefits of being part of a melded culture is there's less chances of seeing a world in pure black and white and you get gray that mixes into everywhere. And the more viewpoints that you have, the the less stark the world can become. So at least that's the way it was for me. But. I think I think I agree absolutely in, in the sense like you said, you get into shades of gray. It gets chromatic. You get lots of different hues. You get lots of different ways to to, to see things. You get to see things through a kaleidoscope that changes instead of just one static view because you know everybody's going to see things a little differently and i think part of the reason i've enjoyed that and i've learned things like i where i live now you cannot i've lived in different places in the united states even though i, I grew up in new england but like where i live i live not too far off from the new jersey pinelands and the famous most famous story coming out of the new jersey pinelands and arguably is the jersey devil yeah. and you can't swing a dead cat not that you should, in New Jersey at, let's say, a gathering or at a, at a tavern, perhaps, or as we say up, up north, you can't swing a dead cat in a bar in New Jersey without running <laughs> yourself into somebody who has either seen the Jersey Devil or run into Bruce Springsteen. Those are the two stories you'll hear at a bar in New Jersey, <laughs> is that somebody had a Jersey Devil experience or they met Bruce Springsteen. Jersey people, you kooky, I love you. But yeah, that's, that's what you hear. But when I lived out in, in Washington State, I lived in, in Yakima, Washington for about a year in the, in the 90s, which is a very interesting experience. And there's some, some terrific people out in that area. The country. And the scenery, if you've never seen it, is just uh, breathtaking. But, you know, any place you sit out in Washington State, any bar in Washington, you're going to hear the Bigfoot story. And, you know, because we all got crazy stuff. We got the Bigfoot, we got the, the whole, you know, and wherever you go, there you are, you're going you're gonna to get even small places are cosmopolitan when you start talking about the creepy. Exactly. So I don't want to miss the chance of getting to talk about this. Looking at your website, there are some beautiful pieces of artwork there. Thank you. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I make jewelry out of real human bone. And that's usually like one of those record slide scratch conversation stopper moments. I make jewelry out of real human bone. And somebody goes, what? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, they are. And, and I, I'm not very cagey or strange or mysterious, I'm sorry to say. But the origin of the bones, they are retired medical specimens. There are bone brokers that, that buy and sell uh, human remains. And mm -hmm. it's not a dark, dire type thing. They are collectors, usually medical enthusiasts. And for whatever reason. So there are, and for some reason, the odd fellows have tons of skeletons in their closets quite literally so they're they're a bone and i think bones are beautiful i grew up 
uh, uh, looking at all those old gravestones made of slate in those New England graveyards from the pilgrims and stuff. And like John and Priscilla Alden's daughter is buried in, in Little Compton, Rhode Island. I used to regularly walk through that cemetery, you know, and see her stone. So we're rooted in some really, really deep history. And a lot of those stones had the wings, skulls. And I started falling in love, just falling in love with the imagery and being the creepy kid. I was actually a bullied kid. And I was, uh, the bullies were afraid to go in the cemetery. So they chased me in there, but they wouldn't go in, but they wouldn't let mm-hmm. me out. And I ended up just like finding words of amusement, just going through the, the stones and stuff. So, <laughs> you know, little do they know that they, 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 they inspired a love for the history and art and art of, of a cemetery. And, and I was never afraid. In fact, to, to this day, I find them very peaceful, restful places. So I love bones. I love skeletons. I love bones. And I think bones are a great equalizer. Mm. You know, skin color fades, body shape fades. When we get down to the skeletal level, we are all the same. It's what we have in common, the rest of it. And, you know, that's not to say I ignore the differences. I celebrate them. I think they're fun because then we'd all be the same. We'd be boring. But I love skeletons. And so I love to take bones. And these are people that donated their bodies to science. There's no no ill, ill acquisition here. Mm-hmm. And elevated into something artful. These skeletons are no longer used in the teaching classrooms. They typically get broken up for parts for everything for search and rescue to, you know, art the bone dealers. So I've right. been making human bone jewelry. I want to say 2017 was when we officially when I did when I really went out and got official and got my license and started really making pieces. I had done a piece or two for myself at that time but uh it's it's polarizing i just did a show yesterday and and people either dig it or they don't that uh, so you have to get a license for that a business license just like you oh, a business. okay sales gotcha. tax and all that good stuff because i'm legit i'm a rule follower that, that is that is truly phenomenal i mean what uh so i understand you know the the fascination with it but uh when did you come up with the idea to even start doing that I had always wanted, and I, and I I'm, I can't remember what movie it was. It was might have been something cool like The Serpent and the Rainbow, and somebody had a bone necklace on. Because mm-hmm. the bone necklace was is you see those in a lot of kooky old movies, and oh, yeah. and you know it's always somebody like either either somebody they're trying to depict somebody either on the voodoo side of things or somebody like a, a lot of times it's some sort of like head shrinking Brazil thing or. Or some such nonsense, and of course now as an adult, I realize that Voodoo and Candomblé are very much not Hollywood religions per se. <laughs> but I, I always said, you know, they're so beautiful, and I was looking at a web page that had just one vertebra, and I was looking at the channels of it. And I, mm-hmm. I worked in the medical field for a long time, so I find myself going through Gray's Anatomy. My father was an art teacher, and uh, one of the things he gave you to, to help you learn to draw, uh, one of the things he always said, he says, you need to know what's underneath to draw like a portrait. You need to mm-hmm. know where the muscles of the face are. So my dad's drawing textbook for all of, you know, for all, any of his students, and of course I wasn't officially a student, so I was just a kid, was Gray's Anatomy. So bones and muscles and all of that was very cool. And the more I looked at it, the more I saw beauty. And isn't that what art that's, is? You see beauty where others don't. You show it to them. Make them that's amazing. It. it really is. I mean, 
if y'all haven't uh, seen this, I highly recommend you to go check it out and take a look because they really are beautiful. Uh, where can they uh, where can they find not only your podcast but also your your jewelry collection, et cetera? At www.darkerartsstudio.com. There are pages for the podcast. There are pages for the for the jewelry. I do custom work too. So if you know you have something you'd like that you don't see, you said I've always wanted one of these. Let me know. We'll figure out. We'll get something where you can show them your darker art side. That is beautiful. Well, uh, I cannot tell you how much I have enjoyed this conversation. In fact, I, I think it's one of the first that I've ever had in which, you know, yes, you talked a lot, but I think I talked, you know, a, a decent bit myself. And normally I just kind of like hand it over. But uh, this was like probably the first like true conversation I've had on this podcast. And it was awesome. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Oh, I absolutely it. <laughs> enjoyed it. I hope you'll have me back. I'd love to have you back on ours. I love a good intellectual discourse. We, I think the whole world needs to sit around, question, talk, and bond more about what we're curious about. I think that's what we do. I mean, I mean, Sheila, I completely agree. All right, my friend. Well, thank you so much again. And again, you can uh, you can find her at darkerartstudio.com or you can always find the link on southerndemonology.com under the Friends of the, of the Show page. So, Rocky, it was a pleasure. Same here. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Southern Demonology. Find us online at southerndemonology.com where you can find all of our social and podcasting links. Also, if you have a moment, please feel free to rate this podcast and leave any encouraging feedbacks that you may have. As always, I am JJ, and it has been a pleasure getting to talk to you today.